And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's I Can't Start the Show, Henry. And I'm a quirked up white boy with a little bit of swag. I'm busting it down sexual style. Am I goaded with the sauce? Alright, so you're on TikTok too now? I mean, isn't everyone on TikTok? Yeah. Together we're Henry and whatever John said. Coming at you to discuss the cultural happenings of that third side, guys. Can't remember all of the particulars of that one meme. I'm sorry. I didn't actually know that it was a, a TikTok meme. Oh, man. It's all over the place on TikTok. I have the TikTok app, but all it sends me is videos of people working out and then some things that appear to be racist. Oh, that's weird. Uh, TikTok's fascinating because it is the the algorithm it uses learns what you want to see so quickly and sends you just that, that there are corners of TikTok that you'll never, ever come across. I think it would be interesting to create like a TikTok burner account and like, like continue to watch things and try to juice the algorithm in a specific direction. Yeah, no. Their information gathering is so sophisticated, they're actually like being sued for data collection on minors, which is very, very tricky. Yeah, that is uh, tricky and warranted. Not warranted to collect data on minors, but rather like don't, don't, don't collect data on minors. Yeah, come on. Exactly. Uh, you would hear the sound of my drink opening, but like a fool, when I got my drink out of the fridge, as a habit and a reflex, I automatically. Just sort of popped the top, so there's no pop topping for me. It's already open. Wow, what a fool. Uh, what I, a fool. That that uh, cracking sound you heard was me cracking open a delicious limoncello naturally essenced LaCroix. Ooh, that sounds fancy. I am trying to drink less and eat more to facilitate the healing process, and also alcohol is... Poison. Remember last podcast? It feels like it was so long ago. I drank too many 10% Imperial Stouts and then proceeded to have maybe one of the poorest podcast performances of my career. Oh, no. We were both. We both did not bring our A-game that night. Uh, it was rough. However, leading up to that, I had not had anything to drink for about two weeks and I drank oh. those beers. And yeah. I woke up the next morning and my skin looked like Steve Bannon. Uh, so I oh, think that no. alcohol is like not not good, or at least gotcha. I look like Steve Bannon compared to the nice rosy glow I had from abstaining from poison for two weeks. You gotta you gotta get that dust free alcohol, buddy. Yeah, I'm so allergic to dust. Let me just check this limoncello Lacroix. No, first ingredient is dust. Yeah, see, that's what's yeah, that's what that's gonna do it to you. And uh, I've got good news. Hmm. I'm seeing results from my abstaining from drinking during the week, and that I can fit back into my wedding suit for the first time in a while. Hell yeah. Alcohol has a lot of calories in it, and also Damn. makes you retain water. Why do we drink it, Henry? Uh, to, I mean, if you want an honest answer, it, it is a, like a numbing agent for our emotions and the stresses of the world. And if we drink it, it takes the edge off the world just a little bit. Uh, a phrase that I've been struggling with my entire life. It's a 
it, it's tough for me because I drink around people to numb my anxiety. And then when I'm alone, it's a double-edged sword because I genuinely like the taste of beer and the artistry of beer. So I can be drinking no matter which mode I'm in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I just do it so that, I don't know, it tastes good, for one. And I like I like ingesting things that taste good. Yeah. And then it just makes me feel good, which... I don't do many mind-altering substances, so, like, that can be addictive, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, anything that makes you feel good. People talk about, like, drugs' capability to be addictive based purely on the, um, the like, opioid receptors in your brain. And I don't think something needs to elicit euphoria to be habit-forming or addictive. I just think it has to make you feel kind of good. And honestly, Henry, if you're keeping it to just the drinking and the fentanyl you're okay what's fentanyl oh it is a an extremely powerful opiate that uh police are terrified of yeah no i don't do that but thanks for the joke (laughs) you're welcome it's my job is it making jokes no my my job is to implicate me in a massive drug operation (laughs) yes uh, it is that is that is my job i've been wearing a wire to this podcast for years (laughs) it's recorded john (laughs) listen i don't make the rules i i'm just a a stool pigeon (laughs) is anyone here wearing a wire well it's a podcast so all of us (laughs) all of us are kind of wearing a wire yours has a cough button right oh that's fancy. This the, the cops <laughs> sprung for the fancy mic. Yeah, you uh you know, we have Yeti, blue Yeti snowballs. You know, yeah. they're not the best, but they're pretty good. Yeah, I mean I, I have an art what what is it called? Like Ars Technica something or other? Some <laughs> fancy two hundred dollar mic. Is is there any meat on these bones comedically? Like uh, no. some some CI has to wear a wire, but they're like a podcast audiophile, so they like come in and they've got like a pop screen and like oh, an yeah. Ars Technica microphone. No, I, I think that yeah, I think yeah, they put you know, of course they tape it to the chest, but like also under the shirt, yeah, is the, yeah the circular outline of the pop screen yeah it's like what's going on over there oh uh, iron man cosplay <laughs> and then they they listen and they're like no nah, it's still can you try something and then the ci like puts sound baffling around the head of the person who's speaking yeah be great yeah bring back mad tv and make us the writers <laughs> I, is there a place for mad tv anymore I don't know that there ever was that. I I was actually talking about this, uh, about Mad TV with my tattoo artist because we're of similar ages and we were, I was essentially saying that on Mad TV, there was a character that was just funny because she was Asian. Oh yeah. Boy, how times have changed. Yeah. It was just, yeah. She was just overly stereotypically Asian and that was the entire joke. Yeah. Things were, uh. You know, people just didn't have to try very hard for comedy. Yeah. When people say you can't do comedy anymore, they mean you actually have to try. Right. But I mean, the good thing about Mad TV is we got uh, Matt Walsh out of it. Matt Walsh, for sure. I uh, mean, who he, else? He, he played horrible, stupid characters in the show, but man, has his career just taken off since then. We got Phil Lamar out of Mad TV, right? Yeah, voice actor Phil Lamar. Voice actor of Vamp in Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of the Patriots. Patriots? Yeah. Yeah. 
There we Sons of Liberty? Sons of Liberty. Oh, the Patriots. The Patriots. Anyway, Henry. <laughs> the New England Patriots. My greatest <laughs> Colonel. Colonel, there's Colonel. a football team here. <laughs> there was there was a large amount of money stored after the Second World War called the New England Patriots. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, I think we should move on Punished to Cur- Brady. Oh God. No. <laughs> He's been punished enough. He's retired. <laughs> he's, he's, you know, his hairline keeps receding because he needs to grow that horn. Oh, yeah. Also nanomachines. Yeah, nanomachines are what that's keep how, him That's young. how he can throw a football really well. It's the nanomachines. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why he has those big, long heels that he can put swords into. Yep. This is niche content at best. So niche, I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, I'm talking about Raiden. Oh, he's the one who fights the senator. Revengeance? Yeah, the senator. Yeah. You know, everyone talks about Raiden from Metal Gear Solid Revengeance, but no one ever talks about him from Metal Gear Solid 4 Guns of the Patriots. Why would you? No, everyone talks about him from Metal Gear Solid 2. Yeah, I guess that's fair. The discourse around Metal Gear is is shifting, and I've stayed stubborn in my ways. Okay. Let's move on to current events. We have a little tiny update in the uh, the 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 culture war against Russia on the internet. Now, yes. surrounding this, of course, is a bunch of other things that we're not going to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, but last week, we reported that multiple websites and services uh, were just pulling their content from Russia's servers. That's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> They were they were denying access to yeah, Russian de- IP addresses. Exactly. On their servers, because that's how websites work. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I just want to do a little update uh, because more companies have just dogpiled on and dogpiled on. Uh, so now the list of companies that have restricted access to Russia includes every company minus Pepsi. Wait, hold on. And Coke. Okay, so every company except Coke and Pepsi. and Coke. McDonald's was the biggest holdout, but today they announced that they were going to close their 350 shops, uh, restaurants in Russia. So now it's honestly every – anyone you can think of. Any, name a company, John. Um, Apple Computers. I have no idea. Name a video game company, John. <laughs> Ubisoft. Pulled – you can no longer buy Ubisoft games in Russia on Steam or whatever or f- wherever. Can I do another one? Yeah. Studio Zaum, who made Disco Elysium. I don't think they've ma- released a statement, but they're such a small studio. I I don't I have no idea. Okay. Uh let me see Bethesda. Yep. They Wow, pulled, the big ones. They pulled their games from being be able to be sold in Russia. Uh, yeah, everyone got on board. Indie developers, even the most disgraced developer of all time, CD Projekt Red, has also, you cannot buy their games in Russia. Everyone, except for Coke and Pepsi. That's, it's, it's fascinating that, I mean, all of this is kind of, to the point we made in the previous episode, harmful to Russian people. Uh, yeah. You know. I don't think Vladimir Putin's eating a lot of McDonald's and drinking a lot of Coke and Pepsi. And and honestly, at this point, 
I, the last headline I saw, the ruple is worth, uh, wait, 150 ruples is equal to one U.S. dollar. So it's not like, again, these people could afford any products or games that are being sold right now anyway. Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, we have to accept that, like, this kind of, like, uh, it's not like a soft sanction, but this kind of, like, corporate boycott of a country is largely performative, yeah. uh, considering the current events have, like, tanked the Russian economy. Uh, yeah. and, and also, like, to, to understand the kind of political layout in Russia and, like, Belarusia, uh, Belarus, uh, is like the, people not having access to things doesn't necessarily bother those in power. Oh no, yeah, the oligarchs. Um, yeah, the the oligarchs don't particularly care that their citizens can't yeah. buy the video games they like or eat the quarter pounders that they like to eat. Yeah, I mean, like the big, the, like if you think you were hurting the upper class of Russia, they don't buy things in Russia. They buy things in every other country. Yeah. I mean, there there were some, like, actual personal sanctions levied against Putin, of which I think that might be effective, uh, though there is – some people are talking about that uh, cryptocurrency might have actually brunted the effect that sanctions would have personally on Putin, uh, because if he owns a lot of, like – NFTs. If he, if he owns a lot of NFTs, it turns uh, they out might be some degree shielded from these sanctions. Yeah. Turns out Putin is the largest holder of board yacht club apes ever. Yeah. And so he, all of his money is in those 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 apes. Listen, he's just a big ape. Board ape yacht club? Did I? I have no idea. I don't care. All right. Anyways, that was just a little update. I because I, I I don't I didn't even do research on it. I. I I started out saving every company that was uh, boycotting, and it just got to the point where it's like it's easier to list who's not. And it's as far as I know right now, it's Coke and Pepsi. Yeah, and I mean you're traveling, so it's understandable that you wouldn't have time, right? But I do have an actual story tonight, John. <gasps> what if? What if I told you that thing? How would you describe the past couple of years? Um, past couple of years, like beginning in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Beginning in 20 or like the latter, the, the late part of 2019 to now. Okay. Late part of 2019 was pretty sweet. Didn't foresee any earth shattering viruses. So that's definitely a plus. Um, bad. Okay. Bad. Yeah. Largely, largely bad. Complicated. What if I told you it was about to get worse? Okay, I could get into that. Yeah, because here's what here's the thing: the past three or so years, they were bad, they were awful, but a little. Uh, what's the right word for this? Uh, let's just say haunted rock in Japan uh-huh. was still intact for these three years, and now I'm afraid. To report today that the Killing Stone in Japan has officially been broken. Wait, someone killed the Killing Stone? Someone killed the Killing Stone, uh, also known as the Shesho Seki. I 
first of all, I can't believe it. Really, the only thing that's been getting me through these last two years has been the knowledge that yeah. the Killing Stone is intact. We all – everything bad was happening around us, but we could all lay our heads down at night knowing that the Sheshoseki was intact and, and was still keeping the Dark Forces tr- alleged to be trapped within at bay. Yeah, I mean, you know, remember early in the pandemic, everyone was getting into doing yoga with Adrian, and then at the end of every video, she'd say, bow your head, now say namaste, and also thank God Almighty that the Killing Stone is still intact. Yes, exactly. Everyone, you know, and the reason we know this is because as soon as the bad stuff started happening, there was a 24-hour watch on the Sheshoseki. It's like, it must have broken already, right? Like. This must be the result of the dark force that's kept within it. But no, it turns out that stuff just happened. But now from here on, we could be in for a rough ride. I mean, I guess it depends on what was in the Sheshoseki. Do you want me to? I can put it in the the chats. Yes, please. All right, here, here it is. Sheshoseki, right? Sheshoseki, got it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm so glad you brought this up, John. I'm so glad. Uh, yes, according to the mythology surrounding the Sheshoseki or Killing Stone, the object contains the transformed corpse of Tamamo no Mei, uh-huh. a, a beautiful woman who was part of a secret plot hatched by a feudal lord to kill Emperor Toba who reigned from 1107 to 1123. Oh, so she's out? She's out. Tamamo no is now released because legend has it, her true identity was that of an evil nine-tailed fox. <gasps> oh, no. Whose spirit was embedded in the hunk of lava located in an area of Tochi, oh, Tochiji, Prefecture near Tokyo, famous for its sulfurous hot springs. Wow. So there's a night, there is potentially, I don't want to be a fear monger or alarmist, but there might be the ghost of an ancient murderous nine tailed fox. Exactly. That, because before we were attributing the darkest timeline or whatever to evil spirits or what have you. Uh, but now we all know that nine-tailed foxes, they're mischievous little spirits. They're tricksters. And evil ones particularly are particularly mischievous and evil. Mischievous, that's the word. Uh, so now Tamamonome might be out there plotting a dark plot. Now, I know what everyone listening to this podcast is thinking. They're like, how can the spear- the nine-tailed mischievous fox spirit that inhabited the body of Tamamo no Mei be free when obviously, according to the Otogi Zoshi, the nine-tailed fox was killed by the famous warrior Miyoranosuke. And I hear you, but now it's just a ghost fox. Yes, it's the ghost of the... It's a spirit. It's a nine-tailed fox spirit, not an actual nine living nine-tailed fox. It's un it's unimaginable to me the the trials we could be facing in the coming years or yes. millennia. And I know what people are thinking. It's just a rock. 
rocks break. They break all the time. Yeah, I've seen a lot of rocks. I've seen a lot of rocks break. Well, do they break like this? It's separation into two roughly equal parts, (gasps) believed to have occurred within the past few days, has spooked online users who noted that, according to folklore, the stone continually spews poisonous gas, hence its name. Wait, hold on. Is it is it actually spewing gas? It was. Oh my uh, god. But now, now it's split in twain into roughly equal parts. Now I ask you, what rock breaks into roughly equal equal <laughs> roughly equal parts? I I can't say that I know. I've never Me, seen neither. a rock break into roughly equal parts before. <laughs> I've only seen it in media when the rock contains an evil spirit <laughs> that then escapes. You know, you're right. I've never seen an evil spirit escape from a rock or anything, and it breaks in like a believable or muted fashion. It It's always right in half. Yes, exactly. It's almost as if the rock is an egg. Eggs don't break into equal parts. What am I saying? But oh, yeah, yeah. Well, eggs do break into equal parts if something evil comes out of them. Exactly. Like a bad yolk. Yeah, a bad yolk or some kind of bad dragon. A bad dragon. Yeah, bad yeah. dragon. Um, so I, I'm now reading that apparently... Uh, Apparently, maybe they had the situation well in hand. Uh, apparently, the spirit of Tamamo no Mei might have been exercised by a Buddhist monk who scattered its pieces across Japan. Um, but many Japanese prefer to believe that the, the, the stone's home is on the slopes of Mount Nasu. That's just a confusing sentence. I don't know what to do with that. Interesting. I... I wonder if that exorcism took... I mean, if media tells me anything, exorcisms are pretty unreliable. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay, so maybe it's not well in hand. Maybe that's something they did previously. But apparently, visitors to the area... Because this is a popular sightseeing spot, because, of course, you know, Haunted Rock... Uh, recoiled in horror at the weekend... At the weekend? They recoiled in horror at the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have you ever seen the weekend in person? <laughs> At, after witnesses posted photos of the fractured stone, a length of rope that had been secured around its circumference lying on the ground. Oh, yeah, so it had a protective rope keeping, oh. it, keeping it together, and that was cast aside. That's even more evidence of a spirit breaking out. The spell holding the rock together with that rope failed. Yeah, and then... The demon came out. I do have to appreciate uh, NDTV, a news outlet that I've never interacted with before, reporting on this very factually with the headline, In Japan, Killing Stone Splits Open, Unleashing Spirit of Trapped Demon. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) They get it. They get it. Um, A a Twitter user uh, by the name of Lily0727K tweeted out in Japanese, I feel like I've seen something that shouldn't be seen. And I mean, that, yeah. got, that got 170,000 likes. I mean, yeah, I I wouldn't want to see it either. Yeah. 
I feel like we had a lot of like rock prequels leading up to this. I feel like people are gonna, here's the problem with the media now with this 24 hour news cycle bullshit. We're getting all these rock stories, all these objects like rock stories. And now that a rock story is really important People aren't going to pay attention to it. Remember that obelisk that was moving around that people would oh, take yeah. pictures with? Yeah, remember ob- the gold cube? Okay, hold on. Back up. Uh, I do remember the obelisks that were popping up and people taking pictures of them. What was the gold cube? Uh, just some bullshit artist made a gold cube. Uh, that, that <laughs> I think it was on Wall Street, maybe. Uh, and it was like 400 pounds of gold. And then the artist put out a statement being like, this is a symbol of uh, the, the of what tangible wealth is. But real wealth now is untangible. And then he like made a line of NFTs. Like it was it was really oh, bullshit. Great. It was it was like the the most Perfect. pat kind of art installation followed by the release of NFTs. <laughs> Amazing. All of that might be false, but there was a gold cube and it sucked. Uh, it sounds like it sucks. Now, do you think that we have the spiritual fortitude as a people to put that demon back? Us or the Japanese? Well, I mean, I guess the Americans are godless. Yeah, Americans, I would say, have no shot. We get haunted by everything. Uh, Amityville, as I understand it, is heading to space. Yeah, we we really don't fight back against being haunted. At least in media, the haunting almost always kills us. Yeah, only in in the the tall tales where people have formed the technology to capture ghosts or bust them do we ever fight back against hauntings. Normally, we just get driven mad or insane or barely survive if we're the attractive blonde girl in the movie. I mean, even in a classic Shiner tall tale, we still take the margarita recipe from the watermelon lady. Right, exactly. We don't put yeah. that watermelon lady back in a watermelon. No, we don't. We kind of just let ghosts do what they will. And it's like there's no secrets, really. It's just like, oh, the newcomers move into the town. Oh, they moved into the haunted house. The entire town knows it's haunted. They just never did anything with it. I, I think the Japanese might have a shot. I think, I think, uh, I mean, this could be complete, like, ignorance and me projecting what I know about Japan through my own experience with their media. Um, but there is a spirituality, I think, alive in Japan that might not be, in rural Japan, that might not be as alive as, like, uh, America as a whole country. Yeah, and of course, you know, at the end of the day, the Japanese god is real and the American god is dead. So, Oh, no. Did they fight? <laughs> no, thank God it never came to that. Okay. Natural causes, really. I was about to say, because the Japanese god has a sword that's folded seven times <laughs> over with steel. <laughs> yeah, can't beat that. Can't beat that. I Don't mean, even try. Why would you? It cuts through armor. Yeah, and gods. And gods. And god armor. Be, I mean, um, all that to say, rest in peace, American God, and all hail Nine-Tailed Fox Demon God. Uh, yes, uh, Nine-Tailed Fox Demon God, who apparently, um, I, I don't know if I can copy and paste a picture into the Zencaster chat. Uh, no, 
It is not that. Uh, do you, you got your Discord up? I do. All right, here is a picture of Tamamono May in the Discord chat. Okay. Well, you know, it could be worse. Yeah, that is uh, Tamanono May as depicted in the Fate series, if you're familiar with it. Oh, like a Fate... Stay Night. Fate Stay Night vampires, huh? Something like that, yeah. There's vampires in, like, the Knights Templar or whatever? Fate Grand Order. There's a lot of different fates. Apparently, Tamanono May was... was popular enough to make the cut <laughs> as a hero melty blood no that's a know. different thing I that's think. a different thing entirely i think i think there was a fate something something fighting game that i played when i was into fighting games right uh yeah i'm i'm aware of it apparently this is a very popular piece of mythology apparently yeah here's another one from a different game okay uh it's different different take on the character they're both big titty anime ladies. Yeah, I think there's a common trend in that uh, one, they're ladies, and two, they're being depicted by anime artists. Yeah, okay. Uh, there's a cl- Of course, the classical depiction, I think, is the best, so I'll just send over that real quick. I'm going to say I'm more okay with the second one being our new demon god All than right, the first. This is a classical depiction of Tam- Tamamo no Me. Okay. That one's creepier and a lot less exploitative. Beautiful, huh? Yeah, look at those birds around the moon. And, and like, she has no body. She's just a floating, like, dress. That's pretty pretty cool. Yeah, I'm okay with that. That's the kind of demon that I could be subjugated by for the rest of eternity. Right. I'm just going to keep sending pictures now. Okay. This is great for the podcast. They'll see it in the art. I'll I'll make sure to track all this down for the art. Oh, this one's really cool. Yeah, I think that's the emperor that she was plotting to kill. Oh, yeah. So yeah, uh, we have a. Th- there's a hot new demon that just dropped. <laughs> just 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 released. New demon just dropped. If you thought our worries were over, I don't know if you know this. Coronavirus is over. It, it was. It's been declared over as of this week. Yeah, CDC said it's over. Yeah, you can. You don't have to wear masks. They're optional. Said, now. Let those beagles out. Let the beagles out. Yeah. So it's over. You don't have to wear a mask, even though there's still like a lot of cases, but not as many. Yeah, as there were over yeah. Christmas. Look, look. The city of Austin uh, went down to stage three, and then next week, the next week, three days perhaps later, we were in stage two, right before South by Southwest started. This is perfect timing. <laughs> It's perfect timing, and those numbers can't change. That's not how numbers work. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, COVID's over. So it's time for the next thing, right? Like we, you know, the next big world engrossing thing. And like, <laughs> I just realized there is another. Ne- there's a next thing happening right now. <laughs> Oh no! Yeah, there is there is definitely a next thing happening right now. But that's old news. New yeah. demon just dropped. Listen, the ongoing war in in Ukraine over. New demon. Oh, God. Uh, that is that offense. That's probably really offensive, huh? New demon. New demon. New demon uh, just dropped. Who knows what plots and and little tricks and murders she'll she'll plan. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I look forward to it. I, does, I welcome our new demon overlord. How does it work? Because in life, apparently, she plotted to overthrow an emperor. That's like one person, right? Uh-huh. So in life, she, she plotted to kill one person. She's now a demon ghost who was sealed into a rock for like thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Do her powers – are they stronger now? Is she fueled by revenge? So now she can like kill like two people? Like wh- how, how does it work? I think if I were to – if my demon power ghost math – it's a little rusty. You know, I've been out of college for a while. I don't do this for a living. But if I were – if my math is right, I think her next target will be all of the celebrity judges on The Masked Singer. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. That would be really good. One, she already has a mask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she she shows up with a mask of Tom yeah, I mean, Tom no May. It, it, she'll she'll show up as a nine tailed fox, mm-hmm. and us us dumb Americans who aren't plugged into you know Japanese culture and don't randomly catch a weird headline won't be they're not in the know. So they'll be like, oh, a nine tailed fox is pretty cool. Why does it has nine tails? I don't know. I'm going to Google it. Oh, it's Pokemon. Okay, it's Pokemon. Oh, Pokemon. And then she just slaughters the entire... Yeah, like they all panel. say yes or whatever. I don't know how the mess Singer works, but like they say yes, and then Travis Barker is like, take off that mask, and then his heart is pulled out through his mouth. Yes, yeah. See, everyone knows how the mess Singer works. Uh, the mess Singer sings a song, and then the, the, the judges are asked yes or no. Uh huh. And Travis Barker slams on that yes button, and they all they all they all vote yes or no. And is, then is is the question that they're answering is the person masked or are they a singer? <laughs> yes, they are asked is this person masked or are they a singer? And they have to answer yes or no. Yeah, to that compound question. <laughs> to that compound question, and then no matter how they vote. The masked person is revealed. Yeah, and all their chairs turn around. Like on The Voice. And America gets the vote, yes or no. (laughs) So just to make it clear, their chairs are turned away from the person who's singing with a mask on. (laughs) Yes. And their chairs only turn around for the unmasking, almost like the masking part. Had no purpose whatsoever. Yeah, and, and while they're they're while their backs are turned, they're watching a screen where they can see the person but not hear them. Yes, and then they say yes, and then Travis Barker dies. Yes, and then Travis Barker dies uh, normally through normal means, but this time it'll be through ghost haunting. Yeah, through ghost murder. Yeah, ghost murder, and it's going to be a real big get for the show. Because, like, this is, I mean, hottest demon of 2022. Like, Yeah, I mean, you know, people talk about the mass Singer being like, oh, it's Kyle Rittenhouse or Giuliani <laughs> or, or Julian Assange or Jesus the mo- or the, or the, the <laughs> or, or the. Why or, is it exclusively bad people? Or, or the mosque shooter. Oh, my God. Mosque shooter, mass singer. (laughs) They're just a bunch of publicists trying to turn people's arcs around, you know? Uh, And this is just a demon. 
<laughs> the demon has really good PR. He has a really good agent. And she's like, look, I know. Thousands of years trapped in like a sacred rock or whatever. And I'm I'm out now. And everyone's like, what? what is – what are you going to do next? <laughs> What's your next yeah, big project? It's, it's just like when Julia Fox started dating Machine Gun Kelly, she started to like try to rebrand herself. Her as name's like, Megan Fox, isn't it? Yes, Julia Fox is someone else. Megan Fox. Okay. Uh, when Megan Fox started to like try to rebrand herself as like unliked or unlikable yeah. uh, in the early 2000s, which is absolutely not true. Uh, yeah, that's what the nine-tailed fox will do. Gotcha. I in you know. I see what you did there. Oh, I didn't yeah. even I didn't even see what I was doing there. Yeah. I think I think what we're gonna what's going to happen. Okay, we're on the set of the mess. Tomino no Megan. <laughs> we're on the set of the mass singer. There's a nine tailed fox singing. Uh what does the fox say? Uh-huh. And then, toward the end of the song, an eight-tailed fox comes on. <laughs> yes. And, and it's like, oh, no, who is this? And the eight-tailed fox goes first, and it's Megan Fox. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, I get it, fox, fox. So the behind not number nine, nine-tailed fox, it's going to be Michael J. Fox. Uh-huh. And then it's Tamamono May. And then Megan Fox takes off a second mask, mm-hmm. and she's an Americanized an eight-tailed fox demon, and they both just start slaughtering people. Can't beat 17 tails. Yeah. And on on that episode, one of the guest judges is Matthew Fox, who played the Doctor on Lost. Oh, yeah. I forgot that was a person. Yeah. All of this to say that Ken Jeong, who is one of the permanent hosts on The Masked Singer, um, I just wanted to point out I knew that. Yeah, just rest in peace. I guess rest in peace, yeah. Well, Henry. John? Speaking of foxes. Oh, no. You have a fox-related news? <laughs> you I have, have fox news? I, I have some, I have some, some fox news. Uh, <laughs> some... Listen, I just think that there was a certain kind of boisterous masculinity that men used to be allowed to have, and now that the green M&M isn't sexy anymore. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we glossed over that. That that did take over the news cycle for like a minute. It did. There was a child slavery lawsuit, then all of a sudden the M&M's got frumpier. Weird. Yeah, uh, weird, huh? So, uh, I don't actually think this is Fox News, but it is small red animal news. Oh, Red Panda? It is indeed Red Panda. Now, Henry, you might be familiar with the upcoming Disney Plus film Turning Red by the creator of Cars 2 and Planes, Pixar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I am familiar. I've seen exactly one trailer for it. Yes, it is. uh, It's certainly not all over the place. It's an interesting release because this is... There are more interesting implications to talk about this that would probably be more germane to our podcast, but we won't. Uh, But the thing we should be talking about is this is the first, like, major Disney movie that is skipping theaters entirely and only going to Disney Plus, which either belies a lack of faith in it succeeding in the theaters or perhaps more sinisterly. The Disney Plus, like, premium 
show $30 or whatever proved to be so wildly popular that they can just bypass theaters for their non like mega blockbuster films. Yeah. This is really interesting. If I could jump in right here, please, Uh, because they made this, this decision a couple of months ago when the, the landscape for movie going was very bleak. Um, but since then, Cases have gone down. People are going back to movies. And more specifically, The Batman is outperforming box office records mm-hmm. left and right, which would signal a return to the theater, which would be ripe for a Disney Pixar release right about now. Mm-hmm. But they're still skipping it. Yes, they, they're still skipping it. Uh, so we'll see what that means for the media landscape, because where Disney goes, so goes the world, unfortunately. Uh, but what we're talking about today is, in fact, a one of the early reviews for Disney Plus's Turning Red. Oh, no. I don't know if I like where this is going. <laughs> uh, so this is, it's an interesting, I think, uh, cultural artifact and maybe something for us to talk about. Uh, I will say, ahead of this... To avoid this feeling like a weird pile-on, this review has been taken down. Uh, okay. And uh, tweets regarding it have been taken down. But I would like to explain the situation before it disappears from the internet entirely. All right. Yeah. Let's let's hear it. Uh, so on Cinnable... On Cinema Blend, uh, one Sean O'Connell, uh, who I think is like a managing editor on Cinema Blend... Uh, wrote the review, Disney Plus is turning red in Pixar's latest comedy, Girls Just Want to Have Fur. Uh, Cute headline. Uh, The review can largely be summarized in Sean O'Connell's tweet about it, uh, which I think is uh, pulled directly from the review. Uh, Quote, some Pixar films are made for a universal audience. Turning red is not. The target audience for this one feels very specific and very narrow. If you're in it, this might work well for you. I am not in it. This was exhausting. And this is a two and a half star review. Pretty uh, brutal review of of this movie. Uh, And the review kind of leans very heavily on this idea that, like, this reviewer did not identify with the movie. And thus, the movie is of low quality. Oh, that is a really, really bad take. And I think a lot of this is kind of so people latched onto this pretty aggressively, and I think some of it has to do with the fact that there have been a few people on Twitter and abroad kind of saying the same thing about turning red because at least aesthetically turning red appears to be the most like uh zoomer or whatever the fuck comes after zoomers like the most like updated modern aesthetically movie like these kids are on cell phones and like posing for selfies and like uh ostensibly it's supposed to like show modern life for kids uh and the ways in which they can be mortified and embarrassed or whatever uh and a lot of people are kind of taking this film apart being like oh old pixar movies really spoke to me pixar fell off i don't know what they're doing with this one or what or who it's for uh, and this review is just kind of like the the oh. ultimate result of that discourse is people taking this movie down for not being for them. And it's for a younger audience. 
So my my argument with this line of thinking is kind of twofold, but the thing that people seem to have attached to about this is Sean O'Connell is a man in his late 30s who is about as white as you would expect from right. his name. Right, O'Connell. And his characterization of other Pixar movies having quote-unquote universal themes uh, the two movies he specifically cites in the article as examples of this are Toy Story or Monsters, Inc., which, don't get me wrong, I love Pixar movies, but I will fully admit that Toy Story and Monsters, Inc. are like the whitest Pixar movies. Uh, they are kind of just movies about, in starring roles, uh, cynical white dudes, one of which is a toy cowboy and one of which is a little monster guy. <laughs> But it's largely written... Wait, his skin's green, though. <laughs> You're right. Uh, Metaphorically but, white. I think the the issue that Sean is running into, from my understanding, is that Turning Red is like written from the perspective of a kid who is in like this Chinese-Canadian social circle. Okay, which, so like Vancouver. Yeah, so like pretty specific. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think that you can damn a movie by saying that doesn't have quote-unquote universal appeal, because nothing has universal appeal. Exactly. They can have broad appeal by yeah. by reaching for a very specific demographic that they know is already going to see the movie and thus have a very low chance of challenging them. Uh, but I, I don't think that saying something is not written with your demographic in mind is criticism i think That's not i think knowing whether or not a movie was literally written for you is the first step in criticism there are there are multitude additional steps of criticism after the initial is this candy for me right so yeah that's the first step in identifying your bias because if it's written for you you're biased to maybe like it if they if they nailed the execution well, yeah, when it comes to movie criticism, it's just like, is it a good movie? Who, you know, you can think about maybe who it's for, but that's not review criticism. That's more literary criticism. Yeah, like it, it's a real, the issue that I think I have is a lot of people latched onto this because of the fact that Sean is a very, very, very white man. <laughs> and this movie is, uh, I suppose, laudable for showing like a perspective that feature length Pixar movies don't typically do, which is a human being who's having a very different life experience potentially from like someone who's just like a white middle-aged dude, uh, which is not even true. Pixar movies are kind of all over the place, but people kind of latched on to that. And I don't think that's the troubling part of this I think that's like policing the edges of acceptable discourse in a way and taking someone down for like being white and shitting on a movie with a non-white main character. But I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is like the weird ghetto of criticism we're in right now where people can't process not liking something viscerally <laughs> when they should be looking at, at it critically. Am I making sense? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, basically putting too much power or too much stock in their gut reaction of like, well, this isn't for me. 
so I'm not going to like it. But that letting that affect your critical analysis of the movie is like whether the movie tells the story it wants to tell particularly well, that's kind of like messed up. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's really silly and i don't think that people are going to look at this from this lens going forward and obviously it was like taken down and the, the sean o'connell is apologetic for this is another issue that i have he seems to be apologetic for what people are like taking this to the cash register with which is oh this is racist uh, I think he should take the article down. I think he should apologize, but I don't think he was being racist, not explicitly or harmfully. I just think he was being a bad critic and a bad yeah. writer. Being a little ignorant, not specifically, you know, not being able to have the empathy for the characters because they're not, they don't look like you. Like, I, I think maybe that's where people might be calling foul on him. Because like, oh, it's specifically not for me because I'm not young. I don't look like this. I'm not dealing with these problems. That's all stemming from the larger problem, which is you didn't have empathy for the characters in the movie you watched. And therefore, you might not have really watched the movie. Yeah, I mean, the an issue that I think we're going to be running into more and more. So you and I, kind of key age... To have grown up with Pixar. Like I had the Toy Story Sega Genesis or Super Nintendo game or whatever. Like I was all about Toy Story. I've always loved Pixar movies and I definitely still do. I adore Pixar. I I think that Pixar has made like some of the best movies ever made. Uh, But it is, it benefits from being in a genre of film that has to change as its audience changes, which is to say they're children's movies. Yeah. And, and children are changing way faster than we are. For sure. Yeah. It used to be, and you can look at like the, the wonder years or something like that. Like kids like used to age a little bit slower. Um, they, they were, they were mainly involved with their own little lives and school family stuff. And that was about it. Like they learned about the world through the lens of one teacher at a time. Uh, but now we got all this technology. They can learn so fast. They're changing so quickly. Like they're growing up way faster than before. And so what served us as children, as far as children's entertainment, won't be able to captivate the same audience. It, it's going to have to adapt. It, it, it's like, if they were going to make Toy Story today, they would make it completely differently, and they would be right to. Yeah, because the who they're selling it to is not the audience they were selling it to in 1995 or 96 or whatever. It's like, like yeah, it, Pixar hit the reset button, theoretically, with this Turning Red movie. And, like, now we're starting over for our new generation. Like, we, we carried y'all through Toy Story 4. We're dropping you now. Like, and yeah. dropping Woody. It's now time for us to to focus on the new demographic demographic of children who we want to speak to because they're learning so quickly, they're growing so quickly. They need to see representation in media, or else we're going to lose them, and we can't do that because we're Pixar. I mean, people even had similar criticisms for Inside Out, which I think is like a a brilliant movie and like 
fantastically needed uh, is they're like, hey, I just don't identify with this and thus it's bad. It's like, yeah, of course you don't identify it because like the the curve, the graph of like your growth as a human being is astronomical from the second you are born and then it slowly levels out and then it flattens. And we're right. getting to the point in our lives, Henry, where our graph is flattening. We're calcifying like the things we like are the things we like and we're not changing that much and we're not identifying with kids there's a reason why when people have kids they say their children seem like aliens to them the things meant for them aren't meant for us and i think we're just gonna have more and more sadly middle-aged people both men and women who are attacking these movies for not being for them it's like guess what you're right yeah exactly congratulations you figured it out they're they're not for you in a way reviewing children's movies at all not from the viewpoint of the target demographic who are you serving Uh, the parents who are going to take their children to the movie they're not reading reviews they don't have time they've got a parent (laughs) even if you were there was a school of film criticism where you would review children's movies and and you would review them with a critical eye but you would understand these movies are written for children and aren't written for you i'm sure there's incredible reviews of like the lion king right where where people could applaud it for being a good movie but also be like hey this is literally this isn't for me even though the lion king is just kind of like cat shakespeare uh but you know what i mean i think that there's People need to reframe it, and they also need to be goddamn grateful. Because you don't know what Pixar has given you, motherfucker. Pixar gave you soul. Pixar gave your old asses soul. Because you know who doesn't like soul? Kids. Children, yeah. Because soul isn't made for kids. Soul is made for old bastards like you. Who want very specific things and heartfelt stories. They, They made a movie for you. So, like, let them make eat movies that for one. kids. Yeah, yeah eat, eat that eat soul. movie. Soul is great. That's your portion of the dinner. Yeah. And, and now this turning red, that, that's for the kids. That's for the kids' table. The, the Sean O'Connells of the world are just, like, going over to the kids' table and criticizing the McNuggets. I, I just, I, it, I feel like this movie is only getting attention because it is, like, a Disney Pixar. I don't feel like there are serious... And... Feel free to correct me. Are there serious film critics out there who they're like, we got to review every movie. So who's up for the My Little Pony movie? <laughs> I mean, there there very well might be, but I don't want to meet them. Or just like, you know, Teen Titans Go has a third movie coming out. You know, we're Cinema Blend. We got to cover it. You know, you, critic of 40 years, are – you're going to go to the Teen Titans go to the movies movie? Like, <laughs> what, what, like what, what's the point of reviewing media? Who's on children? the trolls beat? Yeah, it's like, I, I get maybe for the parents' sake, but again, I don't feel like parents are tuning into reviews to determine what their kid watches because their kid sees the commercials or the advertisements. They're sold. Kids aren't checking reviews. So who are these reviews for? Yeah, I, I I think you have a good point. Like, who does this serve? Yeah. It's it only once in a while does a kid's movie come along and can be elevated to the realm of, like, true arthood. 
and, and it's like, so I guess through that lens, you want to try to cast a wide net. Cause like, look, any, any of these movies could be great. We don't know, but you don't have to type up full reviews for each and every one of them. Mister. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right. I think it really is only like this because it's Disney Pixar and because of the pedigree. And if you'll allow me to be crazy for a second. Okay. Uh, so, you know, we live in like an apocalyptically dark time in terms of like criticism and media. And, you know, there's a bunch of great stuff too, I'm sure. Uh, but like, I think the algorithm has kind of turned our brains into jello. Cause I think for the most part, for the last at least 10 years, maybe 20 now, I'll say 10 years, uh, the, the prevailing methodology for giving people content has been like, what do they click on? What do they like? Give them more of that. Avoid challenging them and trying new things. Give them fucking Hawkeye. Uh, not to say that Hawkeye is bad. You didn't like Hawkeye? I liked Hawkeye, but you know what I mean? It's like everything we get is just stuff that they think will like and not necessarily challenge us. And I think it's in some ways like infantilized criticism where people yeah. think a genuine criticism is like, oh, this wasn't made for me. This was made for someone else or or it challenged me to step outside of myself and see it from the perspective of whoever was writing it or who they might be writing it for. Yeah. I don't know. Th- this is just me uh, no, I, hating on the the state of media today. I don't know if it has any merit. It, I think that coupled with the fact that one criticism really isn't all that valued much anymore because it's been diluted to the point of anyone can be a critic. Anyone can write a blog and get big with their criticism, or you can have these YouTuber critics and then they give their opinions and then you've got comedy you know critic critics out there like cinema sins or whatever it's like criticism is so widespread and diluted now that there there is like no artistry in it anymore and maybe there wasn't any artistry in it ever it's like ratatouille yeah i was gonna say i i think it's (laughs) I think that Pixar might be the most intelligent uh, creative entity on Earth because they made the most digestible and cogent mass market criticism of criticism. Yeah. And it's part of their corpus of films. Like anytime anyone critiques any of their films, like, yeah, we we made a movie about that. It's good. It's got a rat in it. Maybe you should watch it till the end. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, what point i just from a critic standpoint writing this movie is not for me therefore i don't think it's good how can you in in good faith read that and not think like well what if a different critic wrote this review and it was for them would they score it the same way as i did no they wouldn't maybe i need to change my approach like you need where's the self-reflection mr o'connell I mean, there's only a limited amount of time we can spend talking about this because I know that you and I will talk about this for an hour, but it's the yeah. Elden Ring problem. Okay. It, it exactly. Is, it, it is the problem we're seeing with critically acclaimed millions of people playing it and loving it. Love those dragons, Elden Ring. Uh, <laughs> love, love those, those dragons. dragons, Elden Ring. <laughs> loving those dragons at Elden Ring. Oh my uh, God. It, it's the Elden Ring problem. It's like people 
have now shifted into a critical mode where they think like if something isn't catered specifically to them, that it doesn't have merit. Uh, and, and as we've laboriously discussed, like that's the first step of criticism is figuring out if something was literally tailor made to you. Because guess what? If you're a critic, that actually makes your job harder because you have to step outside of yourself to criticize something if right. it specifically was made for you. Exactly. I, I mean, another. I, I agree with that. I, I, and I, I can talk about Elden Ring in length. I just had a thought that. I love these Marvel movies, right? Mm-hmm. But they're for me. Yeah, absolutely. And they're for me to a degree that is so palpable because they reward – each new Marvel movie rewards you for watching all of the other Marvel properties. Like, uh-huh. So if you watch them all, you think, wow, this is great. It's so interconnected because it's tailored straight for you. And if you've been reviewing those Marvel movies for the past 22 films – and shows and all of these other things. And then you get to this. It's like, oh, there's no Marvel movie this week. This is complete hyperbole. Uh, hyperbole. There's no Marvel movie this week. I guess I got to do something to make my money. Oh, Pixar's releasing a new thing. Maybe I'll see it. And it doesn't reward you like all of those Marvel movies. I think there is like an infantilization going on. I mean, I I struggle with this because it's a heterodox thought that I have that coexists with me enjoying these movies but it's a heterodox thought that i have that a lot of people don't like me to express is i think specifically that marvel movies have done almost irreparable harm to how we watch movies yeah (laughs) because like you don't have to go in to see iron man and have iron man be made for you even though I was bought in early because I fucking love Iron Man. Right. Uh, and I love comic books. So when you see Iron Man, you're like, oh, this is washing over me and through me and becoming me. And then the next movie you see, it's it's this like interconnected thing and you get more and more excited. And to be honest, almost never challenged. Yeah. You're made sad and you're made excited and you're made happy and you're made morose. You feel feelings but it never like goes against the grain except in a couple very good examples but it never like goes against the grain to make you feel uncomfortable and we've had over a decade of but, movies not yeah. going out of their way to make you feel uncomfortable and, and the one time that it did make you feel uncomfortable which would be the end of infinity war people outcried it as bad yes and, and, and so yeah I I think there is some damage being done by these movies because every like everything is sort of like algorithm algorithm algorithmically tailored to viewers now. It's like, hey, we know that the people who did a deep dive on all of the all of the things we put out are going to love this one throwaway line. And that one throwaway line is what they're going to remember when they think of the movie, and that's going to make them think it's good, and they're going to review it positively. Yeah. Yeah. I I think for sure. And also, Elden Ring just suffers from being the first mainstream popular FromSoft game. For the people who've been playing these games since Demon's Souls and Dark Souls, like, all of all of the criticism we're seeing is like, well, yeah, you just got to play more from soft games. <laughs> I mean, half of the criticism for Elden Ring is people are like, 
it's so hard and these save points are in such inconvenient places i'm like my dude these save these save points have never been more convenient there's so many of them i there's so many of them they're right outside the boss door yeah i i I, you can't walk five minutes without tripping over one it's like oh this is great i don't i no longer have to fight these same enemies over and over again yeah the every time it was like hey do you want to revive at a site of grace or a stake of america i never said stake of america because i didn't know what it was and then i did it once i was like are you fucking kidding me yeah this is baby mode baby mode it's not it's not baby mode it's great that there are these quality of life improvements but right but yeah I, what happened in elden ring's case was that everyone all of the periodicals all of the individual reviewers were given it tens out of ten best game ever made this is great like it had the highest aggregated metacritic score of a of a game that hadn't even come out yet like of all time pretty much and so that people were going into it looking at the buzzwords open world action rpg and they expected more of what they had already experienced and like your assassin's creed valhalla's your horizon zero dawns and forbidden wests they were expecting that kind of like, okay, I'm going to get a map. It's going to be filled with activities and little icons that tell me where things are. And there's going to be waypoints. And towers and, to climb. Yeah. All of the trappings of of the, the genre that is open world games. And FromSoft is like, we've never played another game ever. Yeah. So we don't have any of that. FromSoft is like, that? hey – at least this is better than Kingsfield. Yeah. Yeah. At least you can see your character, unlike in Kingsfield. <laughs> yeah. I like to imagine every design meeting with Miyazaki's like, I feel like this is a big improvement over Kingsfield. Yeah. Every- what, does, what does everybody else think? They're like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he watches like some really cool, you know, power stance animation. He was like, man. We could have done that in Kingsfield. <laughs> we wouldn't have to make a di- another game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kingsfield is the perfect video game. Yeah, but I, I think I think all of this is all of the recent critical sort of controversies isn't probably is probably too strong of a word, but like all of these things that keep popping up, I think is because in the past decade of of media, the the box office breadwinners, the the movies that perform the best have been these tailor-made Marvel movies that if you talk to somebody who doesn't like them, aren't all that impressive to them. So if they were writing the review, they would have a bad, uh, not a bad take, a different take that would say it's not that good. It's like the other movies I already watched. Why It's not different. I mean, that's, that's the, I guess the other side of the coin is what's tricky is like when a movie is made for you, it's, You'll see it as good. There are a number of Marvel movies that I think if I stepped outside myself are fucking dog shit. Yeah. Uh, But I love them. I love Doctor Strange, even though the movie is bad. I hate that one. Uh, But no, I I think that 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 is why a critic's that is how a critic's job can be genuinely difficult is stepping outside of yourself and stop like just patly enjoying a movie and being like, why am I enjoying this? Like what? Like, why is this actually something worth engaging in? Right. Uh, But I do think we're in an interesting place where, so obviously, like, Marvel movies are kind of over. (laughs) Uh, Oh, they have been. They they ended with Endgame. Yeah. And and I think you and I called it because the Marvel movies that have come out since then with your 
Shang Chi's and you're the Eternals and I don't know yep. that there's any others. The only standout from what you're about to say is Spider-Man No No Way Home. Yes, uh, but Spider-Man is exempt. Spider-Man is great. Uh, but uh, of even I think even in Spider-Man No Way Home, I think it's part of the thesis I'm about to make, which is these don't feel like movies that are just made for you like they they feel dispersed like a lot of this energy is like in the tv shows and some of it's in the movies and they're good and i think spider-man no way home is amazing spider-man amazing spider-man andrew garfield uh (laughs) but i think that we are in a place where maybe people can start watching more nutritious movies i feel like we're in a place where we could break the spell if we wanted to (laughs) Yeah, I, everyone keeps supposing that the superhero bubble is going to pop. And I think what's really going to pop it is the fact that someone's going to make a movie that really challenges the viewer and it's going to be good. Yeah. And then, then it's going to be like, whoa, I want more of whatever that was. Give mm-hmm. me more of that. Yeah. I, and, I hope that that happens. Yeah. That's, I mean, the only problem with that is the studio's got to take the risk. And. Studios aren't in a mood to take risks, especially with the pandemic and with theaters trying weird things like charging more for specific movies that they think are going to be bigger. Like, I I, I think we're going to be hard pressed to see anything that's not a superhero something yeah. uh, in the near future. I mean, studios take about five years to adjust to the tastes of the public. Uh, yeah. At large, some studios uh, forerun that, but. Right. I think it's going to take a while before we start to see people taking chances on other things. But I think the biggest takeaway from everything we've said about this is like, watch something nutritious before you listen to the next episode. Unless you're like binging these, in which case, binge away, baby. Yeah, baby, binge. Binge. Yeah, but yeah, find track down the Green Knight and track watch down the Green that. Knight. Or watch another watch. movie with Knight in the title. Watch Big Knight. It's amazing. What? Okay, watch that one. I don't know any more movies with the night in it. Um, I mean, watch Blue Velvet. Watch yeah. Watch, watch an art house film. Watch a Truffaut movie. Watch something foreign. Like just watch something. What? Yeah. Watch a remake of a musical. Like, watch something you feel. This is something I really struggle with because for the past two years, I found it really hard to start a movie that doesn't make me feel good starting it. Yeah. Which if you feel good when you start a movie, you know you're fucking up. Uh you need to go into things that are unknown and challenge yourself and and just enjoy like nutritious art every once in a while. Yeah, watch The Lighthouse. Uh, you know what? If 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 you haven't seen The Lighthouse already and The Lighthouse doesn't immediately appeal to you and you are listening to this, I highly recommend watching The Lighthouse. It's yeah. timely with the release of both The Batman and the Spider-Man. <laughs> Just watch it. Yeah, watch that. What, you could go to the theater and watch Cyrano. I want to see it, but I'm afraid to be... Oh, I have three days off of work and Alamo Unlimited. I could see a movie every single day. You could. You could absolutely do it. Uh, but yeah, no. I, playing I, at our local theater are Batman and Uncharted. Oh. <laughs> I'd no. have to travel. Yeah, definitely... Find something that challenges you and watch it, baby. 
And then you can tell us about it if you want to. Yeah. We would love to hear from you guys. Uh, you could tell us things that, because we always just talk about the same four things over Bullshit. and over again. Bullshit. Yeah, we, we, all we talk about. Tomamo no Megan thoughts. Our Tomamo no Megan mo- <laughs> Wow, what happened there? All we talk about are demons from Japan, Elden Ring, um, fucking Marvel shit. <laughs> uh-huh. And the fourth thing that I had <laughs> pre-picked out before I started the sentence. Nice. So, yeah, tell us if you want to watch something and tell us about your experience with it. I wholly, wholeheartedly, I wholly support you getting in contact with us. Uh, uh, fortunately, I'm about to tell you how you can do that and what is probably a jarring but seamless transition into the social media plugs. Uh, so send us your movie recommendations and your experiences with those movies. You can send them in a, in a tweet to at ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com. And I believe John knows what that stands for. That's right, Henry. That stands for movies. Movies. Hey, TV can also challenge. So I think maybe, maybe a TV show or a play. Go to a play. People, people go on the plays. Uh, you could also send us an email. Or a longer thing. If you have an essay that you want someone to read, uh, we'll read it if it's good or if it's bad. Either way, we all win. So send us an email to email at zerocredits.net. And we're on a slew of podcast services. I've read recently that people really like the phrase, wherever you find your podcasts. So wherever you are, if you found us on a service, if you could leave us a rating and, re- and a review on that service, we would greatly appreciate it. It would just help more people find their way to us so we can send them back to you. That doesn't make any sense. Um, I think the most important thing right now, as we take our masks off and reveal that we're all demon foxes on the inside, just make a connection with somebody and tell them about the podcast. Tell a friend, a coworker, a person on the street. An enemy, a bus driver, uh, a newscaster, a podcaster, uh, a white male movie critic reviewer who reviews critics, uh, a a dead body, a a ghost, a demon spirit, a couple of rocks, a tree, a a babbling brook. Uh, Just tell somebody about the podcast and they'll probably tell somebody and that'll be good. After all, word of the mouth is the only way we can survive. Henry? What's up? I've made a tremendous discovery. Oh, no. So you know how we were talking about a little podcast called The King Cast from Austin, Texas? Oh, yeah, with Scott Wampler and Eric. I don't know his last name, and I feel sad about that. And how they happen to get famous guests... Yeah, they got uh, they got Stephen King and Pat Oswalt. Why are you bringing this up? Well, I've got a bit of a line, Henry. A line to whom? I think we can make a promise. Oh my God! What is this happening live on the podcast? You're doing this to me right now. Listen, I just found out that Jesse Plemons lives in Austin. From the power of the dog, I'm thinking of ending things, Breaking Bad, the two Breaking Bad short films. 
Okay, so he the lives Irishman in Vice. You really, you really think we can get Jesse Plemons on the podcast? I don't think we can get Jesse Plemons on the podcast. I am going to commit myself. What is happening? Day and night what? to getting Jesse Plemons on this podcast. He was in The Master. Yeah, he's Trem- a good actor. Tremendous talent. He's he's very good. Un underrecognized, I'll say. We what makes can you think find he, him. What makes you think he, what makes you think he could you bet you had my hopes up and now they're just dashed because that's an actual famous person. Yeah, he's an actual famous person. We can get him. We need like think. a studio, you know. Yeah. We need to make this a little bit more professional. There are professional spaces we could rent for probably exorbitant amounts of money. I'm willing to pay it for the plems. All right, look. Good luck. I'm not helping. <laughs> He's in an upcoming season of Fargo, so if listen, They're we still making Fargo. Oh, that means he's not going to be around, buddy. If we can catch him on the press tour, <laughs> okay. If we need to catch him on the junket, I'm going to try to make this happen. All right, I believe in you. Jesse Plemons, 2023, or two, or four. <laughs> Whichever happens first. Uh, amazing. Well, look forward to that. I feel like if we ever got Jesse Plemons on this podcast, that, that would be it, right? That would be, we'd be done. We can finally rest now that we have the Jesse Plemons on the podcast. Oh. And I think with that, it's time to bring this episode to a close. So, John, why don't you tell them what we always tell them? He was in Friday Night Lights and from (laughs) everyone here. Oh, my God. At the zero credits, we swear on the cross of our life that we will get Jesse Plemons on this podcast. We would like to wish you, Jesse Plemons, a happy week. And uh, to everybody else, hang in there. I know we can weather this with this demon fox together so just hug, hug your loved ones and go look outside the windows actually I think he was in a season of Fargo in 2015 maybe that article was old goodbye <laughs> okay goodbye <laughs>